0: This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey, you guys. Welcome back to the Getsy Health Podcast. I have my co-host, Gina Warfel with me. Welcome, Gina. Hey, guys. And I have been talking this person up so much on my stories and my membership you guys, our, our guest today is going to blow your freaking mind. Why? Because she blows my mind every day, every time I'm in her presence, every time we hang out. Every time I see her work, it's like she takes consciousness to a new level and it's just another day in the life of Britt Lefko. So I want to talk to you guys about how I met her what she does before she introduces herself, but I was at this retreat and I was helping a friend through a process and he was like really deep in it. And all of a sudden this beautiful, this stunning like goddess comes, sits down and she opens her mouth. And it was like one of those things where you're just, your head literally like whips around and you're like, what is happening right now? Like, what is this magnificence that is pouring out of your mouth? and like my jaw literally dropped because the things that she was saying were so powerful and hit my soul like it burst through my heart and like hit my soul and i just couldn't believe what i was hearing fast forward to the next day right before we're doing integration i find this woman and i'm and i and i say to her these are my exact words i say who are you what do you do and how do i get more of you in my life <laughs> and And it turned into what you're going to hear today. So you guys, please welcome Britt Lefko. She is the most phenomenal coach I have ever seen, I have ever heard, I have ever been in the presence of. Britt Lefko, she, she works with people that run multi million and billion dollar companies. She is worth her weight in gold. The amount of work she does is phenomenal. What she does is phenomenal. She's going to explain it to you guys today. And, Britt, welcome. Tell people a little bit, bit about yourself before we launch into your, your experience and your life and your work with Tristan.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for having me. What an introduction. Wow. (laughs) I think my heart is going to fall out of my body. (laughs) I'm so glad to be on this podcast. I'm so excited to connect with your amazing audience. I've heard such great things about the people who follow you both and who are part of your world. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to share about what I do, how I worked with Tristan. I know that's something people have been really interested in, and to talk a lot about health, right? So how Mm. our mind and our thoughts and our relationship to ourself manifest in our body. And that was really what Tristan and I's journey was about. So just a little bit about me. Um, I've been doing this work my entire life. My background is in identifying and shifting, limiting subconscious beliefs that prevent us from being able to truly see ourselves as we are. And I work, as Janique said, a lot in business, focusing on entrepreneurship, taking businesses to the next level, but really from a place of focusing on ourselves. right? Where are our thought patterns keeping us stuck? What are we not seeing? Where are we stuck in these feelings of smallness of limitation? And how do we step into a place of infinite possibility and create from there. So that is just a, a little bit, I will answer all of the questions and we will have a blast.
2: Well, I, I also, I bet a lot of people are wondering like, okay, she sounds so sweet and cute. Like where did she get <laughs> all of these skills from this training, like, do you want to share a little bit about how long you've been doing this for?
1: Yeah, I would love to. So my dad created a process uh, right before I was born. He was a management consultant, and he gave all of this good advice, and people would be like, great advice, and then they wouldn't take it. He's like, why do people pay for good advice and not take it? And he's like, there's got to be a reason. And my dad was so brilliant, and he was able to figure out that we have limiting beliefs that prevent us from taking good advice. And the most basic example, you think about like a fear of public speaking, and you go to Toastmasters, and you're trying to learn how to speak, and you're like, what is it? But if deep down you believe if I make a mistake or fail, I'll be humiliated. Or if I don't know the answers, people will think I'm stupid or I'm not good enough. How are you going to feel about putting yourself out there? Right. It's not the people in the room that are scary. It's not the speaking. Speaking isn't inherently scary. We do it all the time as kids. We scream when we're angry or excited. Mm -hmm. So what changes? And it's these beliefs we don't even realize we have. Right. And they're responsible for every pattern we see in our life. We think about procrastination. Why am I not more productive? Mm -hmm. The fear of failure, why would you want to put anything you do out into the world? Why would you want to risk it? And so there's a self-protective nature that we have to everything we do. There is so much brilliance in all of the things we do that we hate so much, right? Why do Mm -hmm. I not put myself out there? Why do I not stand up for myself? Well, of course you don't, if you understand the beliefs underneath. So my dad was able to figure out how to shift these limiting beliefs. And I'm like four years old, six years old, having these conversations and I'm like, but dad, what about this? And what about that? So there was a lot of co-creation with my dad, even in my childhood. And I would you know, help him create processes. And I started taking clients when I was like, you know, 15 years old. My parents (laughs) were like, she's way too young. And there'd be like, you know, someone they're like, I can't afford you. And they're like, well, I mean, my daughter's 15. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if you want to work with a 15 year old, but she's like, she helps train people. So I've literally been doing it my entire life. And what became so beautiful was, I recognized my dad was very cerebral Mm -hmm. and he was not the most emotionally connected person. And Mm -hmm. at some point, I started noticing that his process was so brilliant, but there was something very me that was missing because I didn't create it. And so over time, after years and years of working with clients, I started developing a lot of my own work and I started seeing this really beautiful evolution. And I think the greatest gift that I was able to give my dad was to evolve his work because he was so curious and so committed to evolution. He never wanted, you know, his name and look at what I did. He was like, I want, like, this is what I made, you know, Mm -hmm. what can other people make? So there was a lot of evolution. And so what I do now is kind of this honoring of these principles that I learned from my dad, but also a lifetime of my own creative work kind of Amazing. together. So that's kind of my background and how I got to where I am now.
0: Can I just say, like, can you imagine if we learned these skills that Bert's going to talk about and like unpack them with our children and our children became this introspective from the age of four, five, six into their teens? Can you imagine? What this world would do? How would we shift in the right direction if we helped ourselves and our offspring unpack their trauma and unpack these limiting beliefs? Like it just blows my mind. And another thing you said, like your dad was so cerebral, but what you bring to the table, Brit, is not only are you like so incredibly smart, but you are heart and soul and body too. Like you bring all of these components, these really important components, together, and you marry them. And that's why it's this incredible, this is why you're so different is because it's this beautiful, holistic approach of going on all those four dimensions, mind, body, soul, heart, and just really deep diving and integrating. So I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And I I really appreciate what you said, Janique, because first of all, one of the things that I notice so often when I'm working with clients is within the second or third session, they're like, oh my God, my kids, right? Mm-hmm. Because we yes. are not taught how the brain works. We're not no. taught. And I'm sure you see this so much. You know, we're so often not taught about health. We go to school and we learn the 42nd president of the mm-hmm. United States and nowhere in there do we learn how we develop. Right. And so it's so tough because we learn so many facts that mm-hmm. we forget. And so we learn early in life yeah. that we're supposed to understand these things that don't actually teach us how to be human and how to optimize our life. And so to understand this both for yourself, Mm -hmm. how does my brain work? How does my body work? How can I impact? Yes how I feel in a moment-to-moment, day-to-day basis, how do I create a mindset that supports me achieving my goals instead of feels like this obstacle that I'm constantly having to overcome, right? Right. We're not learning that. And so this information is so valuable for ourselves, but it's also so incredible in how we parent, right? And how we how we raise our families because a lot of it is either my parents did this and I'm subconsciously doing it or my parents did this. And so I'm going to really actively make sure that I do the opposite Mm -hmm. and that swing on the pendulum is really beautiful, but it's also not grounded in a place of knowledge, not because we're doing something wrong, right? Because no one has ever
0: taught us otherwise to teach us. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're just passing down trauma. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like we, we haven't been taught these skills that help us see everything from a bird's eye view and be like, okay, I can see how this is for my higher good and how this actually doesn't serve me. And I can see how I'm passing that on to my kids. And therefore I'm going to be the chain breaker and stop that now. So thank you. And I want to lead in to how you started working with Tristan. And I want listeners to know that before Tristan died, he gave me and Gina 100% permission to talk about him and his life because he wanted, he said, I asked him and he said, you know, I'm an open book, say whatever you need. And it was like right towards the end, like maybe a week or two before he was, uh, before he died. And, um, and i know that as we talk about his life with so much reverence and respect i know that he would want these examples to be used to help people relate and connect and understand that they are not alone in their pain and their suffering and their trauma so this is how i connected tristan with britt remember in the beginning of the recording i said britt works with like these ceos that own like these massive companies and and she is not cheap. She's expensive, and she is worth oh my god every single penny. Like once you work with her, you understand. But I remember thinking Tristan needs some help, and so many times, like within like my friends' circles, like she would come up, and I would say to them, "I think Tristan needs to work with Britt," and they would say, "Absolutely." And I went to Tristan, and he's like, "Nope, I'm not going to work with her." Blah blah blah
2: but he was she so resistant. He was, he was like, no way, not a chance. Yes.
0: Right. And, and I think that was like our poverty mentality too, because like medical bills and alternative therapies and, you know, all of these things. And eventually I just like, I spoke with Brit and it was one of those gut feelings where I'm like, it has to be now or never. And so I remember the day I went home and I said, Tristan, I've already paid for Britt to work with you. You are starting this week. And he was like, fine, but I'm not going to enjoy this. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't freaking care. Just talk to her. And so Britt and Tris worked for about five weeks together and it was amazing. It was so amazing. And actually at Tristan's life celebration with my long speech, you know, his life sketch was look at all of his accomplishments and look at all the things he did. And, you know, he was an incredible pianist and he was a straight A student and he got all these scholarships and like, You know, he was just, he was so brilliant. Like this man was, he was beyond this world. And what I said, and went because I went last and talking and I said, Tristan, what I'm most proud of you for is not the hoops that you jumped through, but that you finally learned to love yourself.
2: It was so beautiful. It It was, was so beautiful for you to truly see him. Yes truly see him beyond the accomplishments and the gold stars and everything, but right. just truly
0: him. And so when I said that, and I mentioned that on podcasts and I mentioned that in my stories, I did a Q&A uh, with followers and someone asked, how did Tristan break through to finally loving himself? What finally made that click? And this was my response. He did a lot of, and I'm going to just read it out loud. He did a lot of heart opening exercises that primed him for working with Britt but Brit came in and did her magic with him and rocked our friggin' worlds. This woman, this woman, I have never seen anything like the force of Brit Lefko. Her brilliance at unpacking trauma loops, dismantling, very gently, lies people think are truths and helping you see your higher power, your true essence. I'd call it sorcery, but it's not. It's just her sheer brilliance. I would sit in these sessions they had, and my jaw would drop every time. I started recording the sessions because they felt like sacred conversations, and they were. I then begged Britt to consider creating a guided course for people to learn about these tools she uses so people can get the breakthroughs I saw Tristan have. It's gonna be called Healing the Unhealable, and it's gonna be epic. We were hoping to get it going by August, but then Tristan passed away faster than we were thinking. So life has been put on pause for a bit. So, you guys, I said here, I kid you not, if there were a golden altar to Brit, I would pray to it. If she had an inner circle, I'd pay to be in it. But luckily I weaseled my way into being her friend. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> <laughs> I totally did and I'm just <laughs> so <sorry. laughs> moved so too. I <laughs> just move in here and be your friend. Right, I know <laughs> Let's just be friends.
0: So, Britt, take it away. Please tell listeners, like, you guys, so let me just tell you what happened. Um, The first time Britt showed up, and Tristan and Britt were talking in the back. And at this point, Tristan wasn't having full-on conversations. He was, like, bent over, kind of looking at his feet, just so broken. Like, this was a broken man just wanting to die. Like, he just wasn't enjoying life. It was misery. Like I cannot explain and describe how horrible life was at this point. And we were just all miserable. And Britt and Triss were in the backyard and everyone left. And after about an hour and 20 minutes, Britt came out and she said, come walk with me. And she said, just be really gentle right now. Like he's processing a lot, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, what happened, you know? And I went back and there Tristan was sitting up, bright eyed, bushy tailed, talking to friends, laughing, interacting. And I was like, what possessed this man right now? Because he was hunched over, not making eye contact, completely shut down, not having conversations. And now he's up and joking and like connecting with people. And I was floored. And so, so with the next session, I sat on the floor and I hit record and I watched things unfold that I can't describe. But I have goosebumps just like knowing that I have those recordings, you guys, like they are incredible. Like one of these days, I know, right? Isn't that amazing? Like,
2: so amazing. I know that really, I is
0: know. So. I, I hope I have the last three or four. I can't remember, but I want them transcribed and written down for my kids to read someday because, oh. because they were, you guys, this is why I need you all to know the inner mind of Britt Lefkoe because it is brilliant and genius. And so Britt, I'm going to stop talking right now. <laughs> and and I'm going to stop gushing, and I'm going to let you take over. And yep. describe to people what it was like working with Tristan. What happened? What did you guys do? How can people integrate what we're going to be talking about today in their lives?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. So like Janique said, it was, it was intense. I mean, I walked in and I saw this shell of a man. His quads were the size of my wrists. He was looking down. He was breathing through an oxygen in his nose. And it was like, he just, it was like talking was painful. Like he Mm -hmm. just didn't, there was that he didn't want to do it. And then he didn't have the energy to do it. Mm -hmm. It was intense. And um, I could tell that he didn't want me there. I could tell he didn't want to be there. And I just sat and I looked at him and I started asking him some questions about, how he was feeling and the first thing that I really looked for is what did being sick give him? What was he getting out of it? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Janique and I talked about from the beginning with the healing the unhealable workshop is, you know, what is going to be the content. And the place that I really started was our attachment to being sick because We are sick for a reason. There is something that it gives us. And what Mm -hmm. I wanted to know with Tristan was what was the payoff? What was he getting? And can I interrupt you here really fast? Because what a gutsy question
0: to ask. Like a lot of people are probably thinking, (laughs) how dare you? Like, how dare you ask this broken man? (laughs) How is your illness serving you? Like, can't you see he suffered enough? And here's the thing. We all walked on eggshells around him and look how that didn't help him. It didn't yeah. help. And then Britt comes in with a knife to the heart and is saying, how yeah. is this serving you? How is this bullshit serving you right now? And
1: yeah, yeah. Keep going. I, did it. I mean, I tried to do it in the most gentle way. Possible. Yes, you did. You totally I did. Definitely, <laughs> I definitely got right in there because mm-hmm. I mean, this man's dying. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the time and the luxury. Right. To hang out inside of his illness. I mm-hmm. knew that I had a really short period of time that I had to get right to it. And mm-hmm. um I was pretty tough with him. I really challenged him a lot and But I so was gentle too. To so I mean, gentle. I honestly, I think that's how I gained his respect think that people often challenged him because he's so smart and he's really good at weaseling and, you know, Mm -hmm. making it about, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know this at the time because I didn't know him really well, but apparently he's really good at making it about the other person. And I didn't, I didn't (laughs) let him do that. He he knew nothing about me at all. He's
0: a weasely little slippery guy. He was so like, (laughs) that was his brilliance, right? Like he could just like, like just dance around you in conversations and just like, oh my God. I,
1: I held zero space for him to deflect. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I really just went in there and I wanted to know, and I talked to him a lot about, about confidence, about neuroscience, about how our brain develops. And we can get a little more into that. But the thing that I really want to start with is talking about our attachment to being sick and Mm -hmm. to understand that if we have early in our lives, experiences around illness that teach us that this is the way to get love and attention. This is the only way that we can, you know, prevent ourselves from facing our fear of failure. There are so many different ways that this can manifest. And I wanted to know what his was. When we are sick, there is always something and it doesn't necessarily need to be obvious. Mm -hmm. And with him, it wasn't. And I'm so grateful that he was open to me sharing this because confidentiality is the air that I breathe. And so Mm -hmm. I I haven't really ever shared publicly anything about anybody. So this is like a really big, I have like full body goosebumps. This is like a really big thing because it's so private. It's so private and, and him allowing me to share this is really big, but what I was looking for and what I found was that he was, he was punishing himself
0: Mm -hmm.
1: for not being good enough. And, you know, he's so, he was so smart and had all these amazing qualities, but he had a really kind of normal upbringing. And there was a feeling that he had that was, what's wrong with me that I'm not better Right. Right? What is it about me that I can't do more and be better? And there's something so human about that, something so common about this feeling that we're supposed to be better. And for him, there was a feeling of this self-flagellation, right? Of beating himself up for not being better. And and that manifested in so many ways in this illness. And to me, that was so obvious from our conversation because that's what I was looking for, right? You Mm -hmm. find what you look for. And what I was looking for with Tristan is how is cancer serving him? What is it giving him? And I think what became really clear in our first conversation was it was his way of beating himself up for not being good enough. And I think that there's something so common and not everybody's manifesting in cancer and not everyone's manifests so intensely, but whether we believe that we are, you know, not good enough or a failure, or there's something wrong with us mm-hmm. that can manifest as illness, whether it's the way to get love and attention is to be ill. If we grow up in a family where we're supposed to be on all the time or we feel like we're supposed to be perfect, there's no out. Yeah. There's no space for us to rest. There's no space for us to be weak. There's no space for us to say, I just can't right now. And being sick, being injured, sometimes is the only place that we feel safe doing that. For some people, if we have a fear of failure or making mistakes, mm-hmm how else do we play small safely? Well, if I'm tired all the time, it's not my fault. Yeah. Right. So whatever, whatever our relationship to illness is, it's 99% of the time completely subconscious. And it manifests in these ways that make just enough sense that we don't question them. Right. Yeah. Like, well, there's something in my body that just doesn't make sense. I don't know. And that is just enough to keep us safe from realizing that we call in illness and injury because it is the only safe place to play out these really deep seated programs. I love that.
0: There's, um, I was listening to conversations with God that you guys, that's like my Bible and I like wake up and listen to it and I go to sleep and I listen to it. There's this part at the end where it says, the mind is the creator, the body experiences, and the soul is something about the mind creates and generates everything. And then the body experiences, and the soul, I can't remember what the soul was, but it's these thoughts that really lead to our reality. And so when you ask this hard question, like, how is your illness serving you? What I often want to ask people as well is, like, or tell them or teach them is we called these things into our lives and obviously unconsciously, but they are serving us in some way. And so the magic of healing is actually owning that we created this. I remember when I was going through a massive process of victim and I was like, I can't believe X, Y, this person, this person has treated me this way for so long. And one of my friends asked me, well, Janique, why did you allow it? And I, and like that, like blew my mind. I was like, no, but they treated me. And it's like, no, 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 you've always been in choice. You allowed people to treat you that way. And so when it comes to illness, what thoughts have we allowed ourselves to entertain? What people have we allowed? Us to treat us poorly. Like we are always in choice when it comes to our bodies and our health and our thought patterns, you know? So when we create healthy minds, mindsets, and healthy environments, we exude health. But when we are in these patterns of like that are destructive, we will manifest disease. Do you want to go further into that and how you saw that in Tristan and how you see that in general?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And something I just really want to kind of bring in in the background is a really deep compassion. Yes. something That was really, really pivotal with Tristan was creating compassion for himself. It's something that he really didn't understand and actually outright rejected. He he made very clear. He's like, no, I should have been better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I wasn't. (laughs) And what do I do with that? Right. And I wanted him to know that cancer wasn't his fault because there's a big difference between subconsciously calling something in and being responsible in a place of fault. And I was very careful with Tristan to let him know we develop our belief systems and formulate the way we Mm -hmm. view the world mostly by seven years. Yes. Thank you. Right. So Mm -hmm. from a neuroscience perspective, we have our emotional brain which is very ego-based. Ego Mm -hmm. in the way that I describe it has nothing to do with self-importance. Ego actually has to do with our ability to understand cause and effect outside of ourself. Yes. What that means is understanding that things happen for reasons that don't belong to us. That can be simple as why are mom and dad upset? Why are Mm -hmm. they, why are they stressed? Oh, God, it must be because of me. Right. 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 If I was good enough, then they it's would an, be, be happier.
0: Mm-hmm. That is
1: not ego in the way that no. we talk about ego today. And it's really important to understand that logic, reason, rationalization, willpower, those live in our prefrontal cortex. Yes. And guys, we don't even start developing our prefrontal cortex until seven years old. Mm-hmm. We see the world in emotional black and white. So when we say, oh no, I called in this illness. It's my fault. absolutely not. not. You have a little seven-year-old brain inside of Mm -hmm. you that is creating so much of how we view the world. And this to me is just so fascinating. If you do a functional MRI scan of somebody throughout their day, somebody making decisions, you'd say, well, you know, it would probably depend the brain activity on a logical person and an intuitive person, an emotional person. The brain activity is identical and it is 95% our amygdala, our emotional brain. Only 5% of the brain activity is in our prefrontal cortex. So what that means is we are emotionally driven 95% of our day, and we've got about 5% of our logic to try to pull us back on track. So logically, of course, we know that you know, the mm-hmm. idea that I'm not good enough. Like you know there's a part of our logical brain that's like, well, I mean, I've achieved this and I've done that, but if you're fighting 95 percent of your brain that's driving a car with a five-year-old five-year old,, right, yes. totally stuck in your emotions, that really changes things. So mm-hmm. I really want to bring that into the compassion I'm that so glad you did. Our attachment to being sick doesn't come from us falling short, making a mistake, yeah. not being smart enough, screwing up, not right. having enough discipline. It's yes. actually programmed in our subconscious mind that has incredibly strong pathways mm-hmm. that happen in our automatic mind. And so I just want to pause there for a minute because I want everyone who's listening to just take a minute and give yourself a little bit of compassion that your logical brain is 5%. Yes. And you're fighting 95. It's a really uphill battle. So when you wonder, why am I not meditating? Why am I not doing mm-hmm. you know, what I know I'm supposed to be doing? Why am I not eat he- eating healthily? Yes. Why am I allowing myself to have these negative thoughts? Because your 5% in your willpower is really going to burn out. So this information is helping you to strengthen the 95%. So you're not fighting such a hard battle. I love that. And that was something that I really wanted Tristan to get up front. And that was really powerful for him. And I think that's the thing that had him put his defenses down yeah. because I gave him a lot of, you know, again, a lot of tough love in the beginning, but I did it in the context of him understanding that none of this was his fault. Right. This it- was actually a fight that he was set up to lose
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that he was really trying to shift his mindset. And in that month, he was able to let go of all of that because I think he understood from the beginning that there was a place for compassion, which he had never considered before.
0: Yes. I love that. And I'm so glad that you, you put it in that, in those words, because like you said, that 95% is like old apps. I always say we haven't updated these apps since our seven-year-olds, you know, like, so we're running off of those seven-year-old apps, those five-year-old apps, I would like to give some examples of how this manifests and like, and we don't even realize how quiet and subconscious it is, but you know, Tristan grew up in a pretty good household. You know, he was a very quiet child. He was very quiet. Everyone talks about like how he just never took up any space. And I think how he interpreted that was no one's giving me attention. Therefore I'm not worthy of love. So do you see like how as little children, we jump to these conclusions that are actually not true. Of course he was loved, but because he was quiet, he didn't get attention. He saw his other siblings getting attention and he thought he put two and two together of they must be more important because they're getting attention. Therefore they are loved. Why am I not loved? I am not worthy of love.
2: This is, I'm glad that you pointed that out because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking like, I don't have anything to be angry at yes. my parents for. Like I had great parents. Mm-hmm. You know, they love me and there's yes. like this loyalty of if I work through some of the beliefs around my childhood, mm-hmm. does that mean that I'm not loyal to my family or does that mean no. that I'm saying that I had bad parents or anything Absolutely like that? Not. So I love that you brought up that it was, it was like his interpretation right. of the experience. Is that Yes. That's right.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's so important, right? Because going back to the idea of the ego, the ego being not understanding cause and effect outside of yourself. If you think about being a human, you work, you maybe have a family and you're dealing with all your own stuff. Mm -hmm. So we go into parenthood. One day you're a normal person and the next day you are responsible for a human being. And there's no training, there's no No. onboarding. If you start a new job, you get some sort of a workbook, you have somebody guiding you through it Mm -hmm. and you become a parent it's like, all right, good Mm -hmm. luck. So not only do we not learn about parenting, but we also don't learn about ourselves and our own stuff. And so the goal of this this self-reflection, the goal of this work is never to blame. Mm -hmm. It's to understand that our parents were very unsupported in their parenting. They didn't understand early childhood development. They didn't understand stages of development. They didn't understand neuroscience the way that the brain worked. So why would they know that kids don't understand concepts until seven? Clean, tidy, respectful. What's that? What is that, right? In a four-year-old, right. (laughs) Right? It's literally this feeling of, Brit, put your toys away. And I'm like, why? They're on Mm -hmm. the floor where I use them. Why don't you use them on the shelf? Why Mm -hmm. would I put them there? And then it's like, It's so frustrating. It's like, Britt, I have told you three times. I told you, or I told you yesterday to put your toys away. And I'm like, but I don't understand why I would put my toys where I don't use them because my brain hasn't yet developed. Right to understand these abstractions and to understand these concepts like clean and tidy and respectful. Right. So it's not that there was something wrong with my parents for telling me to put my toys mm-hmm. away, but the way that they teach me, they don't understand that right. I don't understand. So it's just a miscommunication that's happening from a lack of education But it's also
0: very damaging to children, you know, because like, sorry to to interrupt, but it it reminds me of like, if we took a first grader and gave them a 12th graders exam to write, they're going to fail that exam because they don't understand the concepts. And then they're going to be like, oh, I failed. I'm a terrible student. I'm a terrible person. I have no worth in this life. It's not that it's just, you don't have the brain capacity and the developed brain to understand this. It has nothing to do with your value, but this is what keeps happening in children's lives is we, are, we force them to live in an adult life. Can I give one more example? Because I feel like this is so important as to what you're diving into. Yeah. But like you guys know how I parent my children. like They are my life. They are my everything. I love them so much. I'm not a perfect parent. I get impatient sometimes. I get tired sometimes. Like It's been a really stressful year. Like, I had this beautiful conversation with Tennyson this week about his dad. And, and he said, mom, why did dad not come back to us? Because we spoke to him about how people die, but some people come back and they tell us that there is another existence, you know? And he's like, why did daddy choose not to come back? And I said, oh honey, it's probably because he could see how he can help us so much more on the other side and he can love you so much bigger than he could in this human body. And then I turned the question on him and I asked, why do you think he didn't come back? And do you know what he said to me? He said, because he doesn't love me. oh, And I ah. broke. And in my head, I was like, how could you believe that? Like, that is his truth, you guys. That is his truth. That his, one of his core beliefs is that he is unlovable. And yet he has been adored. And we have walked, we've worshipped the ground he has w- walked on, right? And whether that's a belief that he's inherited Or that that's something that he's put two and two together because eight out of 10 times he does things good and two out of 10 times he doesn't. And therefore he just hyper focuses on the two over and over and over and over and over. But this is what is happening in our children's minds. And we don't even realize it.
1: I'm so grateful that you shared that. That was so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And and something I just really want to highlight is that when you are a small child, you don't have context. You don't understand the world. You don't understand people. There is no house outside of your house. There is no world outside of the the kind of box that you live inside of. And so when something happens, like that is such a perfect example of no cause and effect outside of yourself. The idea that somebody would get cancer and become sick and die, that is a perfect example of cause and effect outside Mm -hmm. of yourself. Mm -hmm. And what Tennyson experienced is, it must be because of me. Everything happens because of me. So Janique, what you shared is, I mean, just such a powerful example of what I was saying about the ego. And so the goal is neither to blame ourselves nor to blame our parents because Tristan just wanted to love his children. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't yes. he was a bad father. No. Right. Like I when when we get ill, when someone dies, when someone's stressed, you imagine a parent loses a job and they're going through so much stress. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're not loving their kid. Yeah. But as children, mm-hmm. we don't understand the world because we haven't seen right. it yet. Right, We don't know it yet, right? right? We have no context. So what a framework to understand the way that we grew up. And so just to kind of take a minute, I think for, for everyone listening right now to just think about what was the environment that I grew up in? I know now maybe some of what my parents were going through, but as a kid, if you didn't know, like what, what did right. it feel like? Right where were the moments when maybe you came home from school and no one was there?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, for a kid, I'm not important. If my, if I was important, my parents would be here. Well, now, you know, God, I had, you know, I had a single working mom or I had two Mm -hmm. parents who were working. Some people had parents who maybe were struggling with mental health issues, who had anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. If you have a parent with anxiety, it's like, well, what's so scary out there? It must be a scary and dangerous world. Well, it was never the world, but you had a parent that was deeply, struggling with anxiety and think about Mm -hmm. how many people we know in our lives today that have some level of anxiety in their life, right? What does that feel like to a kid? So
2: so, so when it comes to like Tennyson, is that, is that enough to just explain to him that like, no, you were loved and like to change the story around that, or is that just his truth or does he need to have Brit coaching? <laughs> <laughs> How do you handle that? Well, he's probably definitely going to have Brit
0: coaching when he's like <laughs> older. Both of my kids are going to have to get Britted. Um, oh, I love <laughs> but, you guys so much. But you, um, go well, ahead, Brit. I, I want to hear from you what you have to say about
1: that. So I think that's such a beautiful question Gina. And I have I have more than one answer, but one of the things that I think really loosens our hold on our beliefs is being able to see the events from different perspectives because yeah. what happens is we don't distinguish between the events and our feelings. And this is something I really got from my dad. My dad very much understood that it's not the events that produce our experience. It's our relationship to the events that produce our experience. So the event was Tennyson lost his dad. That is an event. That's a fact. The feeling was it's because he doesn't love me. So something you can do with your kids and something you can do with yourself to loosen the hold the belief has on you or the feeling has on you is to ask, What else could explain the event? So let's actually do this for Tennyson. Why else could Tristan have passed besides Mm. because he doesn't love Tennyson? Well, it could be because he was really sick, right? And he actually passed because he couldn't hold on to this body any longer. And it Mm. had nothing to do with his love for his son, right? right? It could be like Janique said, because he loved everyone so much that he felt like he could love them more from this kind of cosmic space than he could in his body because his body felt limiting. And so he loved Tennyson so much Mm -hmm. that he passed so he could love him more. Right. So these are different ways that we could explain his Mm -hmm. passing besides that he doesn't love his son and you can get really creative. Right. Right. And you can really kind of play with it to even say maybe that he wanted to love him again in a different form. And so he was going to come back in right right? as an energy or as a flower, like, you know, as, as a mentor or a guide so that he could love him in a different way because the father son relationship just somehow felt limiting for him. So he's going to come in differently and you can really play with these interpretations And I want to actually give a different example just to kind of make it really real for everyone here. Mm -hmm. If we look at a feeling of, you know, not good enoughness and we look at our childhood and we say, you know, well, my, my parents were angry or they were stressed or they were blank, right? Kind of fill in the blank your story. It could be that they, they treated us that way or they acted that way because they weren't, because we weren't good enough. Mm -hmm. But just like, you know, we've been kind of surfacing, let's kind of play with our childhoods and start to think about other ways we can explain our parents' behavior. Being an adult now, what are the things that we deal with every day? What are reasons why we might get snappy? What are Mm -hmm. reasons why we might withdraw? What are reasons why we we might not show up 100%? Because we're stressed, because we've got our own stuff, right? Because Mm -hmm. we... Don't know how to be vulnerable. How many times have we acted out not because we're mad at the other person, but because we don't want to be vulnerable? Right. Yeah. How many times have we done that? I can't count the number of times. And mm-hmm. I'm a coach. Yeah. I'm a coach and I still do it. Right? I am right. so not perfect. I have right. moments where my husband is trying to be loving, and it doesn't work. <laughs> I get like angry or upset because mm-hmm. something comes up, some deep wounding that I'm totally mm-hmm. unaware of. Thanks, blind spot. <laughs> and I'm like, you didn't validate my feelings. <laughs> and he's like, what is going on? Yeah. And I'm like, you didn't validate. And I get so upset. And then. Yeah. You know, I take a minute because I am a
2: coach to be like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh wow, that was me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was that was me. What about like kids who, you know, their brains are still developing? Like, can they have these mindset shifts? Can their heads wrap around? Like, oh, there is another infinite possibility. Are they too deep in their own world? Like, is it helpful to work with kids on this kind of stuff?
1: So, I think it's really helpful to create a space of greater thought. I I do have to say though, it is really important that kids have a chance to develop a sense of security in the world before they question the world. Mm. So there is a lot of of great things that came from me being introduced to this work really early. There's also a couple of things where you don't want to get too deep into self-work with kids because it puts them in a state of questioning their reality. So mm-hmm. what you want to give kids is an empowered view of curiosity, not a questioning of their reality. So you don't want to say you have limiting beliefs to a kid because they're like, wait, what are limiting beliefs? <laughs> like, right. I, right. So that can actually be really confusing and yeah. scary and grounding. So you, I would never work with a client who's seven or eight years old, right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to question the ground that yeah. they're standing on. I want them to feel like the world makes sense yeah. and it's safe. And there's not this like confusing thing about like, what does everything mean? Yeah. Because it's really ungrounding. However, what you can do is what Johnique did, which is ask a question Right? Why do you think that daddy hasn't come back? So when they tell you, well, it's because he doesn't love me, then you can start to play with perspectives and ask, mm-hmm. well, right, and you can say, of course, in the most loving way, wow, thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing what you thought with me. That's re- that really makes a lot of sense. I see how you could feel that way, yeah. but I have a question, right? I have a question, Tennyson. Can you think of any other reasons hmm. why Daddy might not have come back? Let's think together. Let's play possibilities. Mm. Right? Oh my and god! Now they get to get creative. And how simple is that? Brain. You're not <sighs> giving them all of this. Oh my wow. god! I mean, it actually means they're like, you're ah, right or.
0: Or a lot of people say like, oh, how could you think that? You know, so we shame them like, oh, no, don't say that. Don't think that. Like, how could you feel that? Why? You know, like how many times do we shame children for having these feelings? No wonder we're all adults running around shut down because we were so shamed for feeling our feels. This is what I've learned. And uh, Britt, you're going to probably teach us a lot of skills in your workshop. But this is what I've learned with what my kids are going through right now helping them process their emotions takes so much freaking time. Okay. And I think about families of like five children. How does one mom with a dad that's at work, how does one mom sit with a child in a process for 45 minutes to an hour. I had to sit with Tennyson for an hour through that, right? While trying to tell Satori, sweetheart, I still love you. Tennyson just needs my, my attention right now because she'll say, you don't love me. You love Tennyson more. And I'm like, no, sweetheart. I'm sitting with him in his sadness right now how many of us parents are walking around with endless amounts of bandwidth and thinking through these things and being like, I'm going to help my child through a process right now. And it might take 45 minutes to 75 minutes. And I totally have that time. You know what I mean? So it's no wonder
2: processing both. Yeah. Right.
0: Right. And I only have two and I get that I'm a single parent now, but what about the families that have three and four and five? Do you know what I'm saying? And so, Uh so helping us become intelligent human beings, helping children become intelligent human beings takes so much time and intentionality and like bandwidth and sitting in this space with them. And as adults, we actually don't sit in space. We do, do, do. Like I think of my morning and I was like, come kids, let's go clean. Let's go do this. Let's go do this. Blah, 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 blah. And we didn't play. We didn't, con- well, we actually did connect, but like we went from connection to let's go tidy the house instead of connection. Let's go play. Let's get in your world. Let's talk about what you're feeling. You know what I mean? We're putting them in our world of do the checklist, do this, do that. And then they, we beat out the magic and then we beat out who they truly are, these incredible souls. And we turn them into human beings of doing, doing, doing right. And then you get adults walking around in trauma with shutdown emotions because they actually were never never held safely as they were processing hard things. So that's where Brit comes in I'm assuming <laughs> and yeah. she teaches us how to unpack that so Britt, what do you have to say to that
1: yeah well there, there's a couple of things that you said that I that really made me think about there's something that I that I wanted to bring up and this is this is such a perfect segue around self-trust mm-hmm. and one of the things that's so profound about starting to understand your own mind your own relationship between your mind and your body your own thought patterns and as a result, right, your kind of how to parent your children differently. One thing that, that's really beautiful about these understandings is they simplify a lot of processing. That sometimes what makes processing take so long is that we actually don't have a roadmap and we don't know where we're going. And so there's a lot of just kind of sitting in the emotions trying to figure out how to get through it. Emotions are just energy and they typically start with a 90 second mm. kind of bandwidth mm-hmm. and then through our questioning and through our feeling, we often extend them. Now there's nothing wrong with feeling a feeling for more than 90 seconds, but it's the 90 second window of where the, the real feeling happens and then the rest of it is processing. So when you can cut down the processing, right, you can, you can make these interactions with your feelings a lot shorter mm. most of the time. And I think that what is kind of the root of all of this is the, I think the greatest gift we can give to our children is to teach them to trust themselves
0: mm-hmm.
1: And when we say, you know, like you said, Johnny, it's like when you say, don't feel that way, or why would you feel that way? Mm. The message we're sending is I can't trust myself. Mm. And oh, part of the questioning is to help them see their interpretation wasn't wrong. Right. It wasn't bad. It wasn't mm. stupid. Yeah. It was just one interpretation. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the beliefs that they form, they're not bad. Mm-hmm. They're just one option, and it's an option that has a lot of consequences. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of other options, right? right? So as we're kind of processing with our kids and as we're processing with ourselves, the underlying idea is to help them see and to help ourselves see that we can trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I'll use kind of as as an example with parenting, just because we're talking about it, that self-trust comes in so many ways from the ability to see that we can figure out our own answers. And so sitting with our kids and processing Mm. and being with them is really beautiful and really important for the connection. But I think a lot of our work really is to teach our kids to trust themselves, right? To ask them questions, to Mm. help them figure out answers. And even at times to tell them like, are you feeling sad? Right. Are you feeling angry? Like if they say that they are, obviously you can ask them what they're feeling, but once they get to a point where, where they're saying kind of how they're feeling, you can ask, like, do you want to sit with that feeling? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, what do you need? What is, what is being with this feel like and look like to you? because once we trust ourselves life becomes so much easier right. and i think so much of what i see in illness mm-hmm. is we don't trust our bodies because we don't trust ourselves i'm
0: so glad you and brought it I to don't that trust yes trust
1: myself mm-hmm. why would i trust my body right my body's an extension of me why would i trust my body to heal why would i trust oh my, my body to know what it's doing i don't know what i'm doing mm-hmm. and i think a lot of the work of self-reflection and a lot of the work you know of everything we're talking about is reframing our belief systems and our perspective about ourselves and our childhood and our life so that we can see, I actually always have trusted myself. I just didn't get it. Right. Right? I've trusted myself since day one. If I was hungry, did I eat? Yeah. If I was cold, did I put on a sweater? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that self-trust? Absolutely. I can trust my body to tell me when it's cold and when it's hungry, the most basic stuff. Mm -hmm. If I get tired enough, I will fall asleep. Right. right? My body has always been fine and I've always been able to trust myself, but we have these stories but I made this really bad decision one time. Mm-hmm. How will I ever trust myself? Right. So that's, that's a really big part of the healing journey is learning. My body has always known what it's doing right. and I can actually trust myself way more than I realize. And that's a really fun thing to dig into. I love digging into self-trust. It is probably one of my favorite things to I dig into because when that. you get it, and there's nobody that this doesn't apply to. Mm-hmm. Whoever you are out there, being like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. but my whole life, my whole life, mm-hmm. right?" Mm-hmm. And and don't worry, I had the story too. I'm not immune. I'm like, how could I ever trust myself? I like had so <laughs> many issues and blah blah blah. Like I. I mean, I went through it, guys. I went through it so big time. I made so many bad life choices. I was playing out so many stories. Like, I mean, you know, Tristan and I actually had a lot in common because I also had a great childhood, right? I had parents who like knew about self work, but I had perfect childhood syndrome right? Like my parents Mm -hmm. were great. What's wrong with me that I'm not perfect. How could I not be perfect? I had good parents. I must really suck Mm -hmm. to screw this one up. Mm -hmm. How did I ruin my amazing family? And you know how much that played out in my life. I mean, I just had this like latent perfectionism that was just destroying me. Mm -hmm. And it was so hard for me to give myself the space to work on it because I felt undeserving. I should have been better. And I had all sorts of health stuff manifesting. I was in college and I passed out. I was a swimmer. I passed out in the pool. I mean, there was an ambulance that had to come pull me out and take me to the emergency room. I stopped breathing in a swimming pool because I was so stressed and I didn't even know it because of this perfectionism. I got, so I was walking. I remember I was walking on the street and I started vomiting in a, I had to run into a bush. I started vomiting acid and I went to every doctor under the sun and they were like, I don't know what's wrong with you. And I was like, mm-hmm. what do I do? They tried to put me on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, guys. I wanted to kill somebody. They were yeah. like, have you lost interest in the things that are important to you? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm falling asleep in class. I fell asleep in a swimming pool. Like there's something wrong. And yeah. they were like, it sounds like, you're no longer feeling excited oh about God. life. I'm like, uh. because I'm exhausted. They tried to put me on antidepressants. I went to the mm. Mayo Clinic for a week. For a week, they ran every test. They were like, I have none of this makes sense. Mm -hmm. My adrenal glands were failing and they had no idea why. Nobody even gave me a recommendation. Can I tell you, I was a broke college student. I went to the Mayo Clinic because I was so desperate Mm -hmm. to understand why is a healthy, athletic college kid falling to pieces apart. I was a mess. Mm -hmm. I was a mess. But my perfectionism was so strong. And what I saw as I really dug into it, it was my only excuse to fail. I was so terrified of not being perfect that being sick was the only way that I could could literally protect myself from falling short. If I fell short of expectations in my subconscious mind, I was going to die. So by being sick, I gave myself space. And permission. Yeah. Goosebumps. Like, I know. That's insane. It was so, it was, yeah. Amazing. It was a lot. And so, you know, this idea of how does being sick serve you? I was not immune to that. Right. Right. I have had such a journey. With health. And for me, it was really, it was really tied to this perfectionism that I had, that it was my excuse. And it was, you know, it was my space to be cared for. If I'm supposed to be perfect and taking care of everyone and showing up for everyone, being sick was the only place where I allowed people to take care of me, you know, and even still I wasn't wasn't great at it. I still didn't really let people take care of me. But there was there was space, right? There was a softness that I allowed from being sick, which was how I received love and wow so I just you know i I notice in in the people that I talk to and the clients that I work with there are so many graces that we give ourselves that actually are really painful mm-hmm. that the, the gift that we 're giving ourselves there was i listened to um I listened to an interview once with, I think it was Lisa Nichols, and she made this reference to the gift wrapped in sandpaper. And I remember thinking it was so beautiful. She said, it's the gift we would never give to anyone. It's the gift we would never ask for, but it is a gift wrapped in sandpaper. And I think about that, that for some of us, right, our illness is a gift wrapped in sandpaper and the sandpaper hurts, Mm -hmm. right? It can be, it can be a feeling of exhaustion to where we can't get out of bed. It can be painful. It can be injuries, right? Who wants the gift of a broken back, right? right? Who wants the gift of all of these health issues? But if we believe that that gift is better than failing Mm -hmm. and feeling unlovable, Mm
0: -hmm. right? If we
1: believe that failure makes us unlovable, then being sick is the gift wrapped in sandpaper because I'd rather be sick than have to face that I deep down feel unlovable.
0: Right, right. I I want to talk about the course that you are doing in a little bit, but I want to bring this back to that self-trust piece because how that also manifests in today's day and age is women, people going from doctor to doctor to doctor outsourcing their power and saying, doctor, fix me, doctor, understand my body, doctor. Like I don't know how to fix myself. Right. And Gina and I have created a gutsy health membership where you literally become an expert in your body and heal yourself. And why is not everyone jumping on that? Why are people still hemorrhaging thousands of dollars, thousands upon thousands on supplements and blood work and doctor's appointments when you can literally take courses and becoming your own body expert, right? But it comes back to, I don't trust myself to be knowledgeable enough and smart enough to fix myself. And we, we just had one of our, our members tell us, you know, she's been trying to do IVF for three years. She hasn't had a period in ages, years and years. And, you know, she hasn't been able to get pregnant and do IVF. She started the membership in April. She's doing, she's doing all the classes. She's doing everything to a T. She's following the menu plans. And she got her first period this week Mm. because she did the work because she's, but when we asked her, what was the biggest like shift for you? She said mindset. It wasn't the classes. It was, it was the integration of the knowledge and recognizing that she has the power to utilize it without talking to a doctor. So she has been working on the self-trust and the self-love piece and told us in that moment, this was my biggest healing step. And that's what you said is like, when we don't trust ourselves, we will outsource our power. We won't heal. And so getting tools to help us overcome these mental gymnastics we do to ensure subconsciously that we're failing. And that sounds really harsh and it didn't, it, it's not supposed to come out that way, but you know, th- there are these protective mechanisms, right? Yeah. And if we can understand them and unpack them, we can change them to serve us and to help us heal and grow and become superhuman again, because that's what we've come here to do. We've come here to play on this speck of dust in outer space. This is what Brit said to me before yeah. we recorded. We've come here to play on this speck of dust in outer space. And so why are we playing small? Well, because no one has taught us how to play huge. And so I want Britt Lefko to be that person. I want her to like okay. help people like break open their brains and unpack their trauma and learn tools to help them become the best version of themselves that they were designed to become.
2: What I love Janik is I think you create like the space for everyone in your, your audience or whatever you want to call it, your audience, your community, you treat them all like your babies (laughs) literally. And and so I, I love and appreciate how protective you really are to the people when, when you're giving knowledge or you're bringing in somebody who's a coach and you're holding space for workshops and coaching. And you don't take that lightly. Like you're not just like, yeah, let's get the next guru no. who says that they're a mindset expert and, mm-hmm. you know, see if it resonates with people, but you are truly like trusting <laughs> and, and putting your trust in coaches who are like, you consider everyone like your babies, like your I children. Do. I and actually I, do. I love that you are so selective about who you bring
0: in. Do you know, do you want to know something weird? Sorry to put the spotlight on me because it's supposed to be about, you know, everyone listening. But Tristan,
2: Let's back in November,
1: spotlight on you. you are a brilliant amazing <laughs> human being that everybody who is listening, they are listening thank because you. of you. I'm just oh, putting that thank out there. You. you are the one that has brought this community together. Thank so you. putting the spotlight on you is actually <laughs> really important because you are a mirror for everyone, thank showing you. them that they can put the spotlight on themselves. They so can. Go
0: ahead. So Tristan, um, and I'm only saying this because Tristan helped me get to this aha. He said to me back in November, he said, Shanique, how brilliant was it? And what an incredible subconscious message you gave yourself to call yourself gutsy mom because you mother everyone, (laughs) right? He's like, you are the mother that's trying to help people learn how to heal. And I was like, oh my God, it's so true. Like I just want people to feel my love through this mic and just have it ooze through their bodies and be a mirror of like self-love and self-adoration because I adore people and I want them to adore themselves. And I see people so clearly and I want them to heal. I want them to have, I want them to have it all. You know, I want them to have their joy and their energy and to have that shared with their children, you know? And so um, so yeah, I am really protective of my audience and the information that I share and the people that I bring to it because I want the best of the best for my children. <laughs> so, so, beautiful. so, um, so Brit, can you, okay. So everyone, this is the moment we've been waiting for. So Brit is creating this course and it's going to be a four part course. It's going to be on zoom. Trust me. You do not want, please like, please like just don't bypass mindset. Okay. Like mindset is number one in the order of healing. And I promise you it is the most important part of your healing that you will ever jump into. And so she's created this course and she's going to tell us like, like what each course is called and w- well, what each class is called, but why don't you tell us what you have done for, for yeah. listeners?
1: So I am so, so excited to share this course with all of you. It's going to be a four part course, like Janique said, and the, the first part is going to be about our attachment to being sick. So it's a little bit of what we talked about today, but a super deep dive. So we are going to figure out what has being sick given us? Where did we learn to be sick? right? And where in our mindset are we protecting being sick? One of the things that was really powerful with Tristan in the beginning is to question what would giving up being sick feel like and look like? And what would that bring up for me? Like, What would I have to face If I give up being sick. Right. And so what are the mindset shifts that we need to have in order to start to question our illness, question our relationship to our illness, right to our bodies? So that's going to be a deep dive and we're going to create the skills and tools and the knowledge base for you to understand your relationship to your body, your healing, and your illness in a completely different way. So that's going to be an incredible mindset shift that we are going to really be able to see our blind spots, right? That's a different way to think about it. We have blind spots. I don't Mm -hmm. know why I'm sick. I don't understand. I don't know how to get better, right? Mm -hmm. So let's break those, bring the blind spots into our awareness and do some reframing. The second part is going to be healing happens in a healthy environment. So understanding the biochemicals that our brain produces and how that impacts our body. There's a great podcast with Bruce Lipton, and he has a line, your body's a Petri dish, right? He's a mm. cellular molecular biologist who used to teach people that cells are predetermined. And he did a study where he had three different cells, or I'm sorry, three identical cells in three different Petri dishes three identical cells. The environment in each of the Petri dishes was different. One turned into a skin cell, a muscle cell, and a, bones, a bone cell. So he said, how's that possible? They're three identical cells. And mm-hmm. what he realized is that the environment can actually impact the cell. Yeah. So what we're going to do in this part of the course is we're going to understand how our thoughts impact our body and how to create a healthy environment in our body to promote healing. It's really hard to heal in a toxic environment. So you Mm. might understand where your illness comes from, but this is where we start to understand the mindset piece of creating a healthy environment in your body. You have all of these resources that Gina and Johnny give you about other ways of creating a healthy environment in your body. This is really from a mindset perspective. This was also a really important part of Tristan and I's work together is there's not just the healing component. There's also the life experience component and creating a healthy environment in your body makes it easier for you to be happy, right? If you have a really toxic environment in your body that puts us in a state of stress that can put us in a fight or flight response, even if everything around us is great. So even if you have a great life, if you have a toxic environment in your body, it can create fear. It can create a feeling of anxiety or even depression, right? So Creating a healthy environment in our body through mindset. Tristan and I we had such a beautiful moment that I wanted to share really quickly, where Tristan was having a really hard time breathing, and he was so scared. He was so scared, and he looked at me and he said, "Brit, I'm terrified. I can't breathe." And so one of the things that we worked on is, how can his inability to breathe instead of triggering fear, how could it trigger a different emotion? And so I took him through this kind of understanding that his inability to breathe could actually represent, and it's going to feel like mental gymnastics because I didn't walk through it with you guys, but that his inability to breathe was actually evidence of his body healing, right? Of his body mm-hmm. doing what it needed to do. And once he got it, he said that when he couldn't breathe, right, it became a trigger for him to feel gratitude. hmm What a shift. Yeah. Right. And we did this with all of his different triggers. So if he was coughing up like substance in his body, right? Mm-hmm. If he was coughing up matter, that became evidence of his body purging all of the things that it needed to get rid of instead of that he was dying. Right. 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 He didn't want to feel like he was dying. He wanted to feel like his body was okay. So that during those last weeks of his life, he didn't feel afraid. Mm-hmm. He didn't feel miserable. He didn't feel yep. like it, there was evidence of him deteriorating. He wanted to feel like his body was healing so that he could enjoy that time of his life. So we okay reframed these triggers to cause different emotions. So something that I'm going to teach everybody in the course is how to have our relationship to our body and the things that are happening trigger positive emotions instead of emotions that cause toxicity in our body from a biochemical level. Amazing. So part two is healing happens in a healthy environment. Part three is neuroscience and repatterning to what we want. There's this concept that I have created from just, you know, a lifetime of working with hundreds, if not, you know, at this point, probably thousands of people on a larger level that there's this concept that I call pattern matching, which is we look subconsciously for what we already know, believe we know to be true. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for what we understand. And so we pattern match to being sick right? Mm -hmm. Oh no, I'm not feeling well. Well, it's probably because I'm ill and I'm broken and I'm never going to feel better. Mm -hmm. We don't realize that's what's happening in our subconscious mind, but it is. So we're always looking for evidence that we're sick. We're looking for evidence that we're going to continue to feel fear. And no matter how badly we want to get better, we don't pattern match to what we want. We pattern match to what we're afraid of. We pattern match to what we've seen. We pattern match to our past. And sometimes we pattern match to our childhood, right? And we don't even know we're doing it, right? So we think about our first experiences with feelings in our childhood fear, shame, guilt, and we pattern match. To feeling like a child, powerless Mm -hmm. and not pattern matching to how do I create health? How do I create what I want? So here we are again, going back to the 5%, this 5% of our brilliant, amazing, conscious, logical brain. That's like, I want to be better. I want to be better so I can be a good parent, so I can be happy so that I can create the life I want so I can achieve my goals so I can be successful and move forward in my business, so I can have a full life, so I can become my highest and greatest and best self, so I can give back to the world, so I can make an impact. But that's not what we're pattern matching to. We're looking for evidence of everything that we concluded about ourselves and the world in those first seven years. Right. Right, We pattern match to our fears, to our not good enough, Mm -hmm. to our not deserving, to our I can't ask for what I want and what I need. We pattern match to that. So the third part is how can we re-pattern our brain to pattern match to what we want to create instead of to what we're afraid of and what we don't want. The fourth part is integration, Q&A, let's get practical application on the table, right? Mm -hmm. This is the place where we're going to do breakout groups, We're going to use the information that we had. It's going to be a lot of information, right? So part four is the practical application. But what about this? But what about that? Right. And we're going to work in small groups to surface our own belief systems, our own relationship to our illness, our own pattern matching, and work through that in real time to start to get some relief to start to get some breakthroughs, right? So we're going to have kind of breakthroughs on Zoom, in private, in our room, behind the scenes. We're going to start to have breakthroughs during those first three weeks. But the fourth week is really going to be where we integrate and where through this brilliant and amazing community, we heal together.
2: I I just want to say that when Brett exposed my life to pattern matching, Mm -hmm. like, holy cow, I realized how much I had no idea I was pattern matching to all the things that I didn't want in my life, yeah. but saying there were things that I did want, but just searching for evidence for me to be right about what I didn't yeah. want. Like that was one of the most life-changing concepts that I've learned from you.
0: And as you've been talking, I'm like, oh, I pattern match yeah. here and here and here. And it's it's me literally pattern matching to my traumas. you know. Yeah, and, and
2: so my world just opened up and mm-hmm. there's so much more space for like possibility yes. now that I'm actually looking for creating other mm-hmm. possibilities in my life. Like it's incredible.
0: You guys, I am, I am excited to take these courses. You have no clue and you would be crazy. You'd be crazy to miss this. Like insane because these tools are so powerful. Like literally seeing how Tristan transformed, you know? And, and like I said, like this woman is not cheap, right? Like she, and she's worth her weight in gold and we get, like more than four, we get like six hours of her. Right. And like, and, and then some in these courses in this, in this thing. So Britt, is there anything else you want to say about it?
1: I just, I think that, I mean, wow, Johnny, you've said so many things, um, but I I think that one of the things I want to say is that we very often don't invest in ourselves no. because again, we pattern match to our fears, right? What if I'm the one loser who can't heal? Right. I don't want to face that. Or what if I'm undeserving mm-hmm. or what if I'm selfish and I just want to give people the space to question your stories. Right. And it's not even just about this course, right? This is so much bigger than just this course. Investing in yourself in general. Yeah. Right. Investing in yourself in general. We have a million reasons not to. Right. What are those reasons? Mm -hmm. Do those reasons serve us? Well, maybe in certain ways. Yeah. But are they actually in our highest good, right? And what do we get out of showing up for ourself? What's What do we want to pattern match to? What story do we want to tell? When we look back in our life, do we want to say, and I wasn't selfish and I didn't do this and I didn't do that? Or do we want to be like, I showed up for myself. I was brave. I was courageous. I invested in myself. I said, you know what? I'm going to face my fear mm-hmm. and I'm going to learn something, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to yes. learn something and I'm going to go on this healing journey And so I just really encourage people to show up for yourself and whatever that looks like, right? Whether that's taking this course, whether that's doing something else, just show up for yourself because there's a lot of stories you can tell about why you didn't. But the story Mm -hmm. about why you did is the story that will inspire you, right? We look so often for inspiration outside of ourselves, but we forget we can inspire ourselves too, right? I have so many other people in my life that inspire me but my commitment in my life has been to inspire myself.
0: Yeah.
1: And for me that. inspiring myself is showing up for myself. When I see how big I show up for myself, how brave I am in my own self-reflection, mm-hmm. that inspires me. And I want a life where I inspire myself too. Right. Where I don't have to rely on the external world to inspire me. I and that. I think that there's something really beautiful about inspiring ourselves by be- being brave and showing up. And if there was anyone on the face of the planet who believed that they did not deserve to invest in themselves. Mm-hmm. It was me, and I <laughs> and me, I've and had me. To go, you know, <laughs> I I've had to same. go on that journey because I was really afraid. What if I'm broken? What if there's something wrong with me? And what if I show up really big and I fail and I suck and everyone else is better? And I was mm-hmm. like, ah, right. But yep. it's it's not so scary, right? Yep. As we think it is sometimes yep. that we think there's going to be a monster under the bed. And I think what we find is we are not in fact a monster under the bed. We are our own guide. I'm not here to give you answers. I'm not here to, you know, to tell you what to do, right? I'm not your next doctor. I'm somebody who can help you see yourself more clearly as you've always been to see the brilliance and the magic and the healing potential inside of you, right? I am not here to be smarter or better. I'm here to help you see that you have been the one rooting for your healing the most this whole time, that deep down there's a part of you that wants for yourself to heal and to be joyful more than anyone. And so to be the person to give yourself the permission slip, to show up for yourself, I just, I think is a really beautiful gift. And again, whether that's this course or whatever it else that it is, I just really encourage you to give yourself that permission slip.
0: Amazing. Britt, you, you've been phenomenal. Thank you so much. Um, I hope listeners really connect with us today and recognize oh, I'm sure They're
2: picking jaws I- above the floor. I know. <laughs> Right. (laughs) What just happened? She just ninjaed
0: everyone's brain. Everyone's brain. Everyone's brain. You guys, the course is going to be called healing the unhealable. It's honestly, it's only 300 bucks. You guys, I just, I can't. And, and there will most likely be more courses that Brit's going to put together. We've been talking about something called becoming superhuman. It might be happening in the future. Just keep your eyes and your ears out. Big things are coming, huge. Like this is, and this is one of them. And so uh, we can't wait to see you in that class. Go to gutsy.ch forward slash healing dash the dash unhealable and sign up, book your slot. We can't wait to see you there. Dates are, I think we said mid September. We're going to finalize some dates before this podcast releases, but. Um, they will be mid to end of uh, September. So we can't wait to see you in a month, you guys. And Britt, uh, how do people find you? How do people get more information of you before we close this episode?
1: Yeah. So um, you can go to b r i t t l e f k o e B-R-I-T-T-L-E-F-K-O-E.com. My Instagram is Brit Adventures, B R I T T Adventures. It's not super professional. It's mostly me in mountains. <laughs> but I do post some stuff there. I spend a lot of time outside. But yeah, feel free to go to my website or follow me on Instagram. Feel free if you're interested in coaching to schedule some time for a one on one conversation. And I think, you know, especially just for your audience, sign up for the course, get to know me better and learn a whole bunch. And thank you so much for spending time with me, for listening. And thank you both Gina and Janique. I adore both of you and I'm so grateful for this opportunity to just chat and thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely. Listeners, thank you. We'll catch you next week.
0: Take care.